What's up, everybody? It's your boy, International Hen, a.k.a. Hen Global, and welcome to my podcast. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, International Hen, and I'm going to keep this episode short and sweet. So a lot of you have been reaching out to me wanting to know how you can get in on the fun with the ICO train. Um, People have been following me on Instagram, on Twitter, reaching out to me through my website, hen.global, and they've been asking, what ICO should I invest in? You know, I have this amount of money. Tell me how I should invest it. How much should I put in this ICO versus that one? And so on and so forth. So rather than go through all of these messages that I've been getting every single day and responding to every person one by one, I'd rather just put out a video where I explain what my criteria is when I evaluate ICOs and pre-sales to invest it. So I have six factors that I look at when I decide whether or not to invest in a project. Number one, project use case and idea. Is this an idea that is disruptive? Does it fundamentally change an existing business model that's doing well, um, but has problems? Is it something that can scale? Can it go beyond just a certain demographic, a certain niche? Can it be applied to people um, across the board? Those are the things I look at when I'm deciding whether or not a project has a solid use case or idea. Um, That being said, that's not the only thing I look at, but it's definitely one factor that I pay attention to. The next factor that I look at is the team. Who are these guys? What have they done in the past? Um, Do they have a track record? Do they want to do this project because it's kind of based on something they've done already, but instead it's just being shifted over to the blockchain? What is their motivation? You know, what is their why? Why are they doing this at this particular time in their life? So I really look to see that a project has its team members prominently listed on the website, or it's easy to find that information. Uh, some projects fail to do this, and you know, it's it's up to you to kind of do your due diligence and try to find out who these people are. Some projects make it easy. Not not only do they present their team members and give a description of who they are, but they even include a link to their LinkedIn profiles. Now, part of the same factor as team is advisors. Um, I don't separate them. I consider them under the same umbrella. But I also look to see if there's any prominent advisors um, advising the team. Now, that in, in and of itself isn't everything. I don't think that a good advisor makes up for a bad team or a weak team. Um, a team is really important for delivery, of course, and um, you know, seeing that the project actually um, succeeds. So I, I don't only look at the advisor, I look at the team, and I also look at the idea. I've looked at some projects that had a really weird idea or something that just didn't resonate with me, um, and yet they still had a good advisor, but I still didn't back the project. So advisor is important, but it's not everything. Um, it's a signal. You know, it's comforting to see that somebody who has a reputation, something on the line, um, is is coming out and saying, hey, you know, I like this project. Pay attention. The third factor that I look at is the community. How large is the community? I look at the uh, projects and see if they have a Twitter page. I look to see how many followers they have on Twitter. Um, I join their Slacks. I look to see how many members are in the Slacks. Um, I see if they have a Telegram group. I look at Reddit. I look at Bitcoin Talk Forum. And I look for uh, general news, uh, mainstream news even, or um, you know, media uh, information about the project. So if there is you know, a lot of these things at work, 
um, showing that there's a lot of um, attention given to the project, then that's that's a that's a good sign. Um, because one of the things that projects hope to achieve when they have an ICO is not just a way to raise money, a lot of money fast. They also want to expand what are known as network effects. They want to get their tokens in the hands of as many people as possible. Because in addition to raising money from the public, they're also um, growing their user base. So it's very different from traditional uh, startup models where um, you know you raised money from venture capital and then you had a budget for you know lead acquisition and that sort of thing. So with ICOs, it's disruptive not just in terms of raising capital, but also a way to um, expand your user base at the same time. So that's why now when you visit a token sales site and you register for an ICO, um, oftentimes you'll be asked for your name and your email address. And that's something that projects will keep and um, reach out to you even after the token sale. They'll keep you updated on the status of the project, on any relevant news, and that's part of the whole concept of network effects. The fourth factor that I look at and I pay a lot of attention to are the token economics. I look to see how much money these projects are trying to raise. If they're trying to raise a lot of money or they're having an uncapped ICO, that's not good for someone who's looking to um, use it as an opportunity to make money. Um, The reason being is what happens in these uh, token sales is there's a concept called network value. So it's basically all the existing value surrounding this project. So something like Bancor, which raised $150 million in just three hours, despite not having a product, um, was essentially an uncapped ICO. Um, What they did was capture all of the network value and keep it for the project. So they left nothing for the speculators or traders to uh, trade with. Um, And and to kind of get more specific there, um, Bancor was a widely hyped ICO. It had very prominent people backing it. Billionaire Tim Draper was behind it. Um, they really had a lot of a- attention given to the project. There was a lot of FOMO, fear of missing out, and people really wanted to get in on Bancor, like everybody. So they raised a lot of money. They had no product. And what we saw was when those tokens listed on the exchanges to become tradable, um, they actually fell below the ICO price per token. So if even if you were like really interested in just you know acquiring Bancor tokens, you'd have been better off just waiting for them to list on the exchange rather than get in on the ICO because you would have got them for a better price on the exchange. Um, that's because they captured all of the network value and kept it for the project. Now the opposite example of what I just said is an ICO like Civic. Civic is ID verification on blockchain, one of the better use cases out there for the blockchain. Um, it had a very prominent founder, Vinny Lingham, you know, someone who's already enjoyed real-world success. You know, he's um, already a multimillionaire. Uh, so, it, you know, he had credibility that um, not many projects had up until that point. And instead of raising $100 million, as he easily could have done, he said, I'm just going to raise $33 million. And that was really good for people who decided to take part in the pre-sale or the ICO because not long after those tokens listed on the exchange, um, Civic did at one point like an 8x. So that was uh, very, very good for those who got in the pre-sale or ICO um, because 
what Vinny did was allow excess value to get captured by the public. And, you know, one interesting thing is that after um, that experience where, you know, Civic just really spiked in value, um, Vinny got on Twitter and said, one of the greatest lessons I've learned is that it's not about how much money you raise, but how much you make for your investors. So when I saw that, I was like, my man, you know, he's on the same page as I am. Um, so that's really important. You know, you really want to look to see that they're not trying to raise a lot of money and that, you know, there's a reasonable cap and there's excess value that they're letting go to the market. So in addition to just how much money they're raising, you also want to look at the amount of tokens they're releasing for the public. You know, is it 40% of the total supply, 50%? The more, the better. The, you know, the more easier it is for you to acquire tokens, um, it, you have more influence in the, in the token economics as a stakeholder. And if it's a good project and there's more tokens available to the public, um, that's generally a good thing. So the fifth factor that I look at is whether or not the project has a product or a prototype, MVP. Um, is there anything available in test mode? Uh, those are important factors to consider um, in the sense that at least a prototype lets you know that there's a commitment on the part of the project to at least get the ball rolling. Um, and you know, in many cases, what this means is that you can get on, on sites like GitHub, if it's an open source project, most of these are. You can look at the code, and you know, give you know, have an opinion. Basically, you can at least see kind of where the project is at, you know, and, and come to your own conclusion. Um, so having a prototype is is good. Um, it's not everything. Um, there's sometimes projects where you have a really good team, you have good advisors, it's a good use case, but they haven't started on development yet, and you know, you have to kind of look at that as on a case-by-case situation. Um, I don't have a hard and fast rule that, you know, if a project doesn't have a product, I'm not going to put my money behind it. I really just kind of look at the whole picture and come to my own conclusion. Now, the sixth factor is something that is not really talked about too much, at least directly, and it's what I call the China factor. So China has a billion people, or more than a billion people, and relatively very few of them know about cryptocurrencies. But it's a very exciting market with a lot of room for growth. And the thing that we've seen with China is that there is reliably a frenzied speculative behavior around uh, new coins once they're tradable on Chinese exchanges. So one of the things I look at when I'm evaluating projects is I try to get a sense of their level of engagement with the Chinese market. And I look for simple cues, like just going out to the website, the token site, the token sale site, and I see if there's a Chinese language option. You know, I look at the, the doc- documents. I look to see if the white paper has a Chinese version. Uh, so things like that. I think if there's um, engagement with the Chinese market, that's a promising sign, especially if all the other things, all the other factors I've already discussed, check out. So those are my six factors that I look at when evaluating ICOs and deciding whether to invest. Um, I think it's really important for those of you um, out there that are new to understand. You have to do your own due diligence. Don't look at me as a financial advisor. I'm not. And, you know, really put yourself out there. Think about what I say and what other people you follow say and, you know, make a move. And then that's how you, that's how you learn. Um, you know, I basically figured all of this out after going through, you know, some, some pain and some lessons on my way to success in cryptocurrencies. 
And I, I think it's not so much about um, how what you know, but also how fast you can learn and um, you know the willingness to, to learn and, and to review you know what you're doing. So you know, very much uh, want to thank everybody for following me, finding me on social media. Please continue to reach out to me. I'm very accessible. And for those of you that are interested in my newsletter, go out to my website, hen.global, and you can subscribe. So be sure to check all the links below this video and leave a comment and subscribe and share with your friends. And until next time, let's keep it going. Let's get this money. Well, that wraps it up for this podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and click like and be sure to share it with your friends. If you want to watch videos on some of the topics that we discussed, you can find my YouTube channel, Hen Global. Be sure to subscribe and click like on any videos that you like and feel free to uh, leave your comments in the comment section below the videos. Um, If you want to find me on Twitter, my handle is at Legend of Cryptos. You can also find me on Instagram with the handle International Hen. And be sure to check out for my Facebook page, Hen Global, as well as my upcoming website, Hen.Global. I look forward to hearing from you guys and uh, be sure to be on the lookout for the next podcast. Take it easy.